Okay, so now we're going to start about the specific state that we have to be able to reach to see emptiness directly. So say sum 10. Sum 10. Dung poi. Dung poi. Near dock. Near dock. Me choke me. Me choke me. Okay, so basically. It's a level of the form realm that we have to be able to reach. And if we spend a lot of time just hanging out there, then we'll be reborn in the form realm, which is not a good rebirth. If we focus only on our breath and just blank our mind out over many years, that would lead to this birth. In classical Buddhism, it's considered a, a serious mistake and maybe one that many people are making these days too. And it's such a pleasant realm and you completely forget about your goal and you use up all your good karma. And then when you die, you immediately get born in a hell realm because you've used up all your good karmic seeds. You're just burning through them. And you, we get to this realm because we're in meditation so much and because we're in meditation so much, we're not doing any bad deeds. Simply because we're sitting in meditation, so we're not able to. And in this state, we lose attraction to and awareness of gross physical objects like food, sex, music, and we withdraw from all sense awareness in this meditation. And we have to have this ability to withdraw our mind inwards. And then some people mistake this for nirvana um, or something like that, but it's not. And getting to this state requires one or two hours of deep meditation every day. Basically, if we want to disqualify ourselves from ever reaching this state, then we wouldn't meditate for at least an hour a day. And if we don't do this, we're wasting our human life. We have to be able to reach this state to see emptiness directly. It should be the biggest goal of our lives. And like we were saying, what else are we doing that's so important? Nothing else. If we're not actively trying to avoid the five obstacles to meditation during the day, um, we've broken one of the bodhisattva vows. So we do want to get to this, but not stay here. Right. Just know that we're getting there for a, a purpose. Master Nagarjuna mentions in his letter to a friend five obstacles to meditation that must be avoided during the course of our daily life in order to be able to meditate later with good concentration when we're on our cushion. We have to keep our minds sharp and alert throughout the day, all the time. And that's what will allow us to go into deep meditation when we sit down. And this, we can totally do this. Okay, so we'll go over the five obstacles to meditation. Okay, so say, um, Gudong, Gudong, Nusem. Mukba dung me. Mukba dung me. 
Dang du la. Dung dang te som. Te drip pa nagapo. Okay, number one, restless desire. This is basically the story of a human life. These are the five obstacles to meditation. Restless desire, attraction to thinking about the day's activities all the time, and sentimental daydreaming as well. Making a list, I have to do this today. Uh, should I say something about this? I want to do this project, even if it's a Dharma project. It can be virtuous, but it's still ruining your meditation. Once we've chosen a meditation object, that's where we stay. When we switch to another without deciding on it, it's a bad deed when we're in meditation. And it totally ruins our meditation. Daydreaming about the old days. Oh, I remember when I had such smooth, young skin. Oh, I used to date that guy. I wish I stayed with him. Oh, if only I did this, if only I did that. Things are so much better. You know, when I was younger, it's typical distraction. Especially if we do a long retreat, apparently, you start to think about the last five years of your life. That's number one. Number two, feelings of malice or anger. And this one happens less frequent, but it's much more destructive. Thinking, I want to hurt someone. Desire completely ruins meditation 80% of the time for the first one. Pure thoughts of wanting to hurt someone else would be this one. The friend who pissed us off, what someone said to us what someone did to us, even in the past. In retreat, in, in retreat, if we get one of these, one of these feelings of malice or anger, it can ruin your meditation for hours or even days. <laughs> and then the third one is dullness of body and mind and drowsiness from too little sleep. Drowsiness will so ruin you. I've had a lot of experience with that one. Yeah. So if we want to, if we want to know what this feels like, have a full pizza and a cookie, and then try to meditate. It just it feels terrible too. It does not feel good. If we don't get enough sleep, we'll never be able to meditate well. We have to get enough sleep. So whatever we have to do to organize our schedule to get enough sleep, so then we'll have a good, clear meditation, which will then motivate us to want to meditate more because it feels really good. And it doesn't matter how much we want it or how good we are at it or the circumstances. If we didn't get enough sleep, we can't meditate. It doesn't matter how much experience we have meditating. Without enough sleep, we can't do it doesn't matter if we've been meditating for 30 years. Sleep is necessary. Number four that ruins or um, an obstacle to meditation is attraction to objects of the senses. Food, music, sex, etc. All the things we think about all the time. 
the more we think about food and any of these objects, we won't be able to go into a deep set of meditation. We just cannot do it. <laughs> I know. And I think, too, what is the point of thinking about them? There's no point in thinking about them. Maybe at some point I need to think for like a minute to plan something. But really, I don't need to be thinking about them all the time. It doesn't do anything. I'm just obsessing. Number five, destructive doubts, which is lazily ignoring the teachings and being wimpy about our practice. In Buddhism, there's good and bad doubt. For example, we hear why God doesn't exist, past and future lives, etc., etc. We hear this and it makes sense, but we're not sure yet, and we're going to investigate and decipher ourselves. That's good doubt. Bad doubt is we know we need to meditate for an hour every day, and we wake up and just say, oh, I don't know if I should do this. Of course we should do it. It's not that we don't believe that we should, it's that we're lazy and we don't want to get up earlier or we don't want to be inconvenienced in some way. This means doing our shamatha practice every day. That's what we're talking about here. And it's separate from practicing all day long throughout the whole day. And this part, this part really stuck with me. Um, Gisha Michael says, we, you never eat too much pizza that you can't meditate. You never overdo sugar because it'll ruin your meditation. Never. We just never do it again. And this means when we go into a deep retreat, we pop right into it. And also, it's good just for worldly success because we'll be able to do everything well because our mind is clear and focused. So when we're eating too much sugar, when we're having just too much food in general, when we're oversleeping, when we're overdoing anything, it doesn't feel good, number one. It sets us up for a mental affliction attack, too. We're much more likely to get angry, frustrated, jealous. You know, all these things are going to come up. Instead of if we were watching things more, we could be clear focused, happy mind, balanced. We, we totally can do it. We just have to um, pay attention to what we're doing, you know? Pay attention, really. We get into the habit of never doing these things, never. We get into a deep state of mind all day, a meditative state of mind all day, and then when we sit down to meditate, we go in deeper into our meditation. This whole chapter is how to maintain a meditative state of mind all day, which is really cool. And interestingly, then there's a long discussion um, in this chapter on relationships with the opposite sex, which is something that can ruin your meditation too. <laughs> and we're just covering one verse from, this, from that section. And it's kind of funny. Master Shanti Deva mentions five things to avoid when courting those of the opposite sex. 
which is interesting because a lot of these things are mostly talking to monks, you know? And so in this, he's not. So number one, I mean, I'm assuming. Number one, begging the person you're attracted to for a relationship. <laughs> Keep going to them and asking them over and over. <laughs> I never do that, but probably just because I'm too prideful. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never done that. No, me either. You can ask them once. So I know. Like... <laughs> Number two, not avoiding bad deeds or unethical conduct when pursuing them. For example, this might be more, f well, maybe not. For example, if we don't have enough money, go and do whatever it takes to get it so that we can pay for things or buy them gifts or whatever. Number three, ruining your reputation by doing non-virtues. Lying to people, stealing, in order to try to get a relationship with this person. Four, engaging in reckless behavior. This could be, this could be like a lot of things. Number five, using up all of your money and resources in order to catch them. Just dumping everything you have. All your time, your money, your energy, everything. And now the proper attitude after we get them. If you're in a relationship, we should see it in a realistic way. This is, this is kind of funny. Master Shanti Deva says, see your partner as a stinking corpse, which he or she will, will soon become, and thereby devote your time and resources to practicing dharma. You've gone through so much to get this person, and when they reveal their beautiful body to you, if you're smart, you see the dead body. All those efforts wasting your time, life, money, reputation, for nothing. What is it that you finally got a rotting body? <laughs> then there's this guy that Master Shanti Deva is talking to, and he objects, and he says, yeah, but she doesn't look like that now, or he doesn't look like that now. And Master Shantideva goes into this whole analysis about how it takes a lot of brainwashing from advertising, television, movies, Instagram, whatever, to imagine that it's anything to be attracted to, the body. We have to do all sorts of weird things to package it so that it looks attractive, and it's not. Especially women. I mean, think of all the things we do with our body to try to make it look good. <laughs> and Master Shanti Deva, he says, cut the crap and go after enlightenment. Both of you together, and then you'll both be very happy. And th that type of relationship, it doesn't do any good. We'll both suffer. Our bodies will both break down in that sort of relationship. If possible, to do your practices together and get beyond a focus on all temporary pleasures, which just is going to turn to suffering and loss in the end, then that's good. 
This is helpful, but the rest is just fooling yourself. of saying it but I think he's more saying like don't expect that you're going to get something that you're not you know like see it for what it is I kind of think he's saying it's okay to be in one but don't don't kid yourself that it's something that's going to bring the happiness you want or last forever or Or you know that that the body is something other than it is. Because I mean, even just think of like when you're dating someone, like their bad breath is like really gross <laughs> or just, when they have it, you know. And judgment, you know, the judgment of just their looks in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Like that they're just already crossed off the list because they. Just I know. That one's really hard. I've learned I don't think I can really, I tried, but I don't think I can date shorter guys. <laughs> I thought it didn't matter to me anymore. And intellectually, in theory, it doesn't. But in reality, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. And all the guys online who say they're 5'10", they're like 5'8", and I'm 5'8". <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I need guys who are taller. Like, yeah. they need to be at least 5'10", because that means they're probably 5'8". Yeah. So then they need to be 5'11". <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, not basing it on those things. <laughs> and then last thing Master Shantideva talks about is money. And it's interesting. It's a paradox, because if you don't dedicate your younger years in the pursuit of money, you won't have a large amount to enjoy when you're older. And you have to put 10 to 20 years of your heart into it, starting at 25 to 30. If we do dedicate our younger years to the pursuit of money, then by the time we have it, we'll be too tired and old to enjoy it. Either way, we're screwed. Either way, it's not working out. Master Shanti Deva describes the life of a working man. You want money for house, mortgage, you go to work and spend and waste your precious body, your precious time, and you come home and flop the body in bed like a corpse. Because you're so tired. You know, just wasting your life. And what we're supposed to be doing, as we're talking about in this chapter, Meditation throughout the day to maintain a bright, clear, bushy-tailed state of mind. Not eating badly. We can't eat badly in order to have that. We have to get enough rest. We have to avoid objects of the senses. Avoid thinking of others in an angry or bad way. Avoid getting too hyper, too dull. Remain in that state of mind all day. And that's a bodhisattva responsibility. We have to do that. Then every day at a certain time, we have to enter deep meditation. 
which removes the cause of mental afflictions. Then the all-day meditation prevents us from planting more bad seeds. And that's basically the subject of this chapter. And it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and simple, actually. Right? Like this, it's not like that complex. It's just, this is what you have to do. And there are all these things that we're reluctant to do because we're attached to them, but they're not bringing us happiness. It's, I think it's really hard with food. Yeah, but we're so attached to those things that are keeping us in suffering life, you know? This is just making me think, I mean, I've thought about this before, I'm like, fuck, okay, I can see why people go into being in love. Yeah. Because, I mean, it just seems so much harder then I'm sure they have their struggles. Yeah. Too. And I think in this day and age, they have like the electronic stuff too that lay people have, you know? So it might be harder for them too. But yeah, I know. But just giving up that working. I know. Just the working, the having to have that commitment, feeling strict because you have to pay for all these Yep. It is, and it's amazing that we can pay for those things for so many years, like every month. And then have to do it after we can't work anymore. I know, it's wild to think about. Right. Yeah, if we practice this way where we're taking care of others before ourselves and then we're trying to keep that clear mind all day, meditating however much we can, things are going to take care of themselves. We're going to be planting the seeds that will bring about enlightenment, but also all the worldly things that we want. They'll, they'll come too. They're not going to be the answer, but um, but we'll have them, which is really helpful. Yeah. So we just do it like little by little, and make progress wherever we can, and then slowly, slowly we keep adding on whenever, whenever we feel like we're ready. And then, it, before we know it, where we've progressed a lot. And it wasn't any big deal. You know how Master Shanti Deva, I think it was last class, 
was talking about we don't ever do more than we can. We're prohibited from overdoing it. And so that's a big comfort. We're, we're doing whatever we can, when we can do it, and that's all. And just by doing a little, we'll start progressing. And you've seen progress, you know, throughout time already, and it'll just keep happening. We just have to keep practicing it. Yep. Okay, so we'll end with a, a short meditation. Feel your forehead smoothing out, all the tension draining from the forehead and behind the eyes, the jaw and the shoulders, the hips and the legs, and just relax. See yourself going through a typical day. And making decisions from the point of view of what's going to keep my mind clear and balanced, bright and happy. And just see yourself starting out your day and going through the whole thing.
and see yourself maybe in the afternoon or the evening or the next morning sitting down for your meditation. sense of it being more seamless and you can go deeper into meditation with less effort. decide this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. Maybe I start my day with meditation or do it in the evening and I practice all day meditation. Experimenting. What does this feel like? How does it work? Making the choices of the day based on what's going to keep my mind clear, bright, and happy. visualization dissolve into the space of the mind. Just think about your dedication, offering all the merit of being here, all of our practice, with an understanding of emptiness to reaching full awakening in this life so that we can truly help others. And ending with the prayers. Sashi Puki Gewazi gewoku Sunam yeshe suk suk shing Sunam yeshe lejung way Dampa guni to par shung 